לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. כל רמה, מאה ושתיים שלוש, אנשי חסד, ניו יורק סיטי, רבי ברי צ'סטר, סלמן שק, דה דיי סקול אוף לונג איילנד, סטארט דיס פרשה טאק, סרטלי מיינדפול אוף דה סופרינג, דה אקסטרודנרי סופרינג דה איז בינג אקספיריאנס ביי סו מני, אנד ווי אר תינקינג אוף אר ברודרס אנד סיסטרס אין יוקריין, הרחמן, הוא יברך אותם ויוציאם מאפלה לאורה מגוד, דה מרסיפול וואן, בלס דם, קיפ דם, גארד דם, סטרנגטן דם, Make sure they are safe and bring them from darkness to light. We are Amen. completing the book of Shemot this week, Parshat Pekudei. This is an amazing Parsha. It's an amazing Parsha. I think it's an amazing Parsha. You would think that it's not. Maybe, you know, people who read the, the, um, the, the, the Parshiot of the Mishkan uh, seem to think that it's just overwhelming with too much... unnecessary information my daughter gave a little she wrote a little sketch why are there so many partiality about mishkan you know why but but here it starts with pekudea mishkan the accounts of the mishkan can you give me some can you can you frame this in terms of why why would the torah want to give us an accounting i'm going to turn to you barry why what do you think that's about Well, thank you for the honor. Um, <laughs> I think that it's a kind of lavish praise. So one of the things that has occurred to me recently, so we follow in one form or another critical biblical theory. And from time to time, I turn to Richard Elliott Friedman's book, Who Wrote the Bible? That's the ref. We call him the ref. <laughs> it's, a, it's a wonderful book, and it's especially good for, for teaching people. high school students um, because he lays thing everything out in a clear way and what I the last time I read it which wasn't so long ago what I came away with is this idea that traditionally the four authors jEP and D were mostly priests and we forget that that the Torah has a multivalent priestly approach and the You know for the priests this is their their work their life is the Mishkan and later the Beta Mikdash and so they love this stuff so my first year in the pulpit the president of the synagogue was an architect and um, I remember making a comment to him although I don't remember quite what he responded about how he might like these partiot because this was his bread and butter for most of us it's not You know we could do without um, I think a lot of the details but it does show what people who love something can do with something to make it lovable right so this it's a remarkable uh, accounting sheet 
Um, I mean, in, in, in the sense, just I'll read, Kol HaZahav, verse 24, All of the gold, Teisha Vesrim Kikar, 29 talents, or whatever, Ushva Meot, Ushoshim Shekel, and 730 Shah. It's not an insufficient amount of gold, and it always raises the question, where do they get this stuff, and how did they get this stuff, and what did they leave with? Uh, but maybe it's, it's I, I think, you know, I like the direction that, that you are going into, Barry, which is, it's, it's this is this is a love letter to the Mishkan, I guess, in, in the way that, that some people, you know, make lists. I don't know, Jeremy, what I'll, you know. Yeah, I, I have a, I think this, this is quite true. And the priestly, the priestly writer is very detail-oriented. I want to take it in a, um, a slightly different direction in that it has to do with being a public trust. Um, I believe last Shabbat, now that I'm on sabbatical, I'm not attending synagogue every Saturday, but I believe last Shabbat was Parshat Shkalim, correct? Correct. And I'll take, I'll take Arba Parshiot for 400. Yes, and, please. <laughs> uh, and what is Parshat Shkalim? It's, it's the, you know, there's different kinds of gifts to the temple. Some of them are free will gift. I show you'd better leave both, but some of them are poll taxes. Um, and there's a half shekel for every person, rich, poor, rich don't give more, the poor don't give less. And so we read that and, uh, and it's about an annual poll tax to support the temple. Um, and the Haftarah for that is from second Kings chapter 12 about Yehoash who, who, who does Bedek Habayit on the temple and, and repairs some of its, uh, you know, when it gets kind of uh, a little run down. And it says um, that there was a chest in which people put the money and the, it was given to the overseers of the work for the, for the repair of the house. And there was no calculation done for those whom they gave the money to, to, to give over to the work, workers, because they dealt honestly. And I think that there's something, that passage seems to speak in some respects to, to this passage, um, you know, certainly be, because of the reading on Shabbat Shkalim, that there's a, a claim about the scrupulousness with which uh, the people are presumed, the administrators are presumed to manage the, public charitable funds. And, you know, we, we know, for example, there's a halakha, but nobody should give tzedakah unless you know that the administrators of the, of the fund are absolutely above reproach. Um, and, and I think this is a kind of just a, a challenge to people who donate to see to it that's going to go well, people who it's going to go to good purpose, and the people who manage the money have to see to it that it's going to be used with maximal, maximal honesty um, and so maybe there's something going on here about Moshe, you know, who has undertaken this massive, massive communal project to, you know, maybe to 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 exemplify that he is acting by Aminu Moshe Abdo. Everybody had trust in him, so maybe he has to demonstrate that he's worthy of that trust. So what you're saying is that this is a kind of proto transparency. This is transparency. transparency, exactly. You know, that, that, so, that so every, every shekel is accounted better. for. Every shekel is accounted for. Shekel of gold, shekel of silver, and all the different, uh, you know, fabrics and, and uh, other kinds of uh, materials that went into the, 
to the Mishkan. Okay, so so the first part of this parsha deals with with all of that, and and I think both both uh, approaches here, the love letter to the Mishkan, and also the kind of you know accounting, which is the the building of trust. Uh, I think those are those would be valuable uh, angles for uh, many of our uh, leader readers, listeners, viewers. Um, to follow, especially if they want to use this as a Dvar Torah for their own. <laughs> for well, their I own. want to add something here yeah. because, you know, listening to you talk, I am reminded that the Mishkan and later the temple are not humble abodes. Yeah. We have descriptions of humble abodes for God, but this is not it. And I think that what comes through all in all the details is that this really is a house worthy of the king of kings and the king of kings is not a humble servant but the master of the universe and he gets a house that befits that stature we're talking about the mishkan here it's a tent in the desert you know the 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 tent is humble the the things in the tent are made of gold i don't know i don't I, i think that it's not I, I would draw a distinction. It might be humble if it were just a tent. But when you add all the skins and all the jewels, it's not humble. The jewels I'm inclined to agree with, I'm inclined to agree with Barry about this. I think that people who maybe live in relatively affluent settings can feel on discomfort with what might be over the top. People who lived in an ancient world and and you know are depicted here as traveling through the desert but you know as the, the sense of the mishkan is a template for the for the Beit HaMikdash which will follow like i think that they wanted to create something that was just like magnificent and otherworldly and and you know the medieval cathedrals you know exemplify the same that uh, the people who built you know shard cathedral they just poured everything they had into the jewel that was their sacred space. So I'm inclined to think like Barry that the that that this is really, really, really an extraordinary space. We talked about this last week with Basalel as Michelangelo or two weeks ago. Sure, no, Michelangelo. So I, I, I'm going to uh, take a take a different approach here, which is that that there is a scholar who um, uh, looks at this and, and and sees some remnants of. Uh, or, or comments on Egypt here, and that the dimensions of the Mishkan uh, actually are analogous to the uh, mobile uh, throne tent of Pharaoh, and that there's a deliberate kind of play here that by making this uh, oblong structure, rectangular structure, similar to that, the, the, uh, the Pharaoh's temporary mobile structure, throne room, the, the Torah basically is is doing this kind of, uh, well, it's it's not satirizing it, it's it's uh, appropriating it, it's creative appropriation, and the, uh, monotheizing, if you will, uh, the, the pagan god. So, so I, I'm, I, I'm less inclined to think that this was such an elaborate structure, although some of the, you know, the gold of the menorah, the ark, the table of the showbread, the, those were elaborate structures. We, we get elaborate when it comes to the temple in Jerusalem. That, for sure, is an elaborate structure. But this is a structure that can be broken down fairly easily by, by teams, 
put together, wrapped up, and, and, and carted away. So I think we have to raise the question of whether this is not a literary device. I think literarily, it's very easy to take the Mishkan apart. You just put in a sentence saying they took the Mishkan apart. <laughs> but if you imagine the Mishkan, the way it's described, it's not so easy to take this thing apart. Where are you going to put all the skins? <laughs> While you're trying to get the poles to take apart. You know, when you think about our modern sukkah, which is the tarp, that ancient invention, and the plumbing pipe, that's not the Mishkan. That's easy to take apart and move. Okay. The Mishkan is more like a house made of Lego that you could take the pieces apart, so to speak, and move them around. It's not so easy to do. I know that I cannot successfully assemble or disassemble an Ikea piece of furniture without cursing and, and <laughs> enormous well, that's, frustration. Actually, the curse is part of the directions. <laughs> Look, my, my, my father, Alava Shalom, was an engineer, and, and uh, the greatest joy that he had was uh, you know, putting things together. And so let's just say that there are people that are able to do this and people who are not able to do this. <laughs> and, and some people can see the world in terms of their constituent parts. And some people are more, more skilled at reading a text, like we are. Okay, so in this text, in this text, um, I think I, I want to say that there's a kind of emotional moment here. Vayar Moshe et Kolam I'm referring to chapter 39, verse 43. At the end of this whole accounting, and the, the thing is made, okay? Vayar Moshe, he sees all of the work, asu ota, and they made it kasher like the way that God made, commanded them. Vayivarech otam Moshe. Moses blessed them. I, I get, I get uh, uh, a little chill reading that. It's, it's a great moment. It's a great moment where Moses is, is, is you never see Moses really satisfied in, this, in, the, in the Torah. You know, Moses, it's, it's a tough job leading the Jewish people. Um, and here, I mean, he offers them a blessing. Of course, at the end of the Torah, we have Zota Bracha. Moses leaves the people with a bracha. But uh, can you reflect on this moment, uh, Jeremy? Want to or uh, <laughs> Barry? You want to go jump in? Then Jeremy, go ahead. Go uh, okay. So what's so clear the way that you read this is that this verse is an echo of creation. Yeah. Only instead of God, it's Moshe. And before we went on, I suggested that the Mishkan is a symbol of the world. Yeah. And here, the world is being created at God's direction, but by human beings. That the way that we become partners of the divine is to do what the divine does, which is to create a world. Only unlike God's world, which is infinite, the Mishkan is finite. And I think the implication here, when it says, Vayar Moshe, Kol HaMalacha, Asui, Vayar he told Ma'od that this was very good. Yeah. And he blesses it just like God blesses humanity at the end of the sixth day. Well, he blesses them. Vayivarech otam. He blesses them. That's the word. Vayivarech otam. And, uh, you know, it, it, the question, I, yeah, I, I got this question this week when I was teaching this class, which was, are, is he blessing them, the constituent elements of the Mishkan, or is he blessing the people who make it? And And I offered that, you know, we don't bless inanimate objects. We bless people, you know. And and 
Look, I, Jeremy, how about this? This kind of it's a it's, yeah. it's a great moment, you know. It is, it is a totally great moment, and um, uh, I, I'm not entirely sure that that Moses can't also be blessing the constituent elements because because like what what does God do at the end of that? He does God does bless humanity, but it's also vayivarech and yom yom hashvi'i. you know. Yes, you can't, you know, it's, time is not uh, a matter. <laughs> what I, I don't know. I, th- I think that I think that you can sanctify objects. Um, you can sanctify objects. Maybe maybe you can't be beneficent. Like a bracha is, is an expression of beneficence and well, well-being. Maybe you can't do that to an object. But in all events, Moshe is definitely blessing the people. Um, uh, blessing the object also, but definitely blessing the people. And I think what Barry said is just incredibly vivid and important because um, God creates the world, but human beings are co-creators of the religious world, of the spiritual world, of the cultural world. And Moshe is uh, is affirming that the people are shutafim lakadosh baruch hu breshit. There's a rabbinic phrase, shutaf lakadosh baruch you be God's partner in the work of creation. And that's a thing to aspire to. Like if you... The Gemara says, for example, if you don din emet lamito, if you if you judge truly, you are God's partner in creation. And I think that that overall Jewish religion, the the, the religion of breach of covenant between God and Israel, is an assumption that uh, at the at the heart of it is the assumption that we will be partners in co-creating the world. So so God gave Moshe a task and Moshe gave it to the people and lo and behold, they executed it beautifully. Yeah. And that's why you get the blessing. And, and we were talking about beforehand, the, um, the Midrashic blessing that Moses says to them, uh, Moses says to, to the, to the people, that the may it be God's will that the, the divine presence will rest on the work of your hands. And, and that's, you know, this has a very vivid liturgical expression. Sure. Um, on, on Havdalah, we recite Psalm 90 at the end of, of the Saturday night services. Uh, we include that, that line, May God establish for us the work of our hands. It's like Havdalah is Kiddush for work, right? Friday night Kiddush is Kiddush for rest. Havdalah is kiddush for work. You're going to go out. You're going to do this stuff. You're going to you're going to create a better world. And may it be God's will uh, that that God's presence will rest on the work of your hands. You will build something that will reflect the divine. Um, I just want to throw in one last thing here, which is the, is the great. I don't know if it's in the play or not, but it's in the um, it's in the movie of that great American Jewish text, The Fiddler on the Roof, that when. Matl gets his sewing machine. The rabbi comes and says, they say, can you bless the sewing machine? He says, and the actor, without translating, it says, I was like, awesome moment. May, may, may God's presence work, you know, uh, be manifest in your work. So I want to pick up on that because I think, I think in Jewish life, there's a certain religious genius. And this idea of, that may be your will, that your 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 presence dwell, um, that's that becomes the core of the Ushpizin 
uh, ritual. Ushbizin, if you recall, as our you know viewers, listeners recall, the, the the ceremony of entry into the sukkah, welcoming the guests the sukkah, and and I don't think it's an accident that uh, the composer of the Ushbizin kind of borrowed this theme of Yehirat Sonshet Ashresh Chinatcha. It's uh, may God's will dwell on the work of our hands, but in the Ushbizin ritual, it's mm-hmm. And, you know, the, 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 for most of us, I, I would say, not being, you know, terribly creative in our sukkah constructions, it's an oblong rectangle structure, right? <laughs> you know, as you said, it's, it's, you know, easy to make. It's usually fabric and, and, you know, tubing at this point. I suppose, you know, not going back too far, but but Sukkot were not especially elaborate back in the 16th or 17th century when the Ushbizin ritual was was created. Um, you know, people had sheets or 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 some kind of fabric or some kind of beams, uh, and I mean, it's not a big leap to say this is a kind of Mishkan. The Sukkah, the Sukkah structure is a kind of Mishkan, and that if if we are living in the sukkah, it's kind of like we're living in a in a different kind of place. And instead of saying shchinat chabemaseyadenu, that make God's presence dwell in the work of our hands, it's you know who who's in the sukkah. It's all of us that's in the sukkah. So we're saying may God's presence shetashre shchinat chabenenu. May it be among us. I find it it's such a a moment of a kind of spiritual genius that. That these are layered on top of each other. I don't know if you have reaction to to that or just a, a nod. We go on. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. which is the sukkah. Okay, so so I'm gonna I'm gonna make another suggestion that the the end of of uh, the last chapter, chapter forty, is a another kind of song to the Mishkan. But first, before we get to the Kasher Tzivanonayet Moshe. As God commanded Moses, let's talk about the date, the date that the Mishkan is consecrated. And if in speaking about the date, let's construct the narrative arc from, we'll start with the beginning of Exodus, but maybe we go back to the beginning of Rashid. So the verse is, verse 2 of chapter 40, Biyom HaChodesh HaRishon Bechad LaChodesh, that is the first day of the first month, Takimat Mishkan you're to raise the Mishkan. So this is going to happen on day one, month one of second year. Okay, Barry, take us. Where's the arc of the, of the narrative arc from the beginning of Exodus? I think Lark probably is somewhere with Noah. But here I think <laughs> what, what we want to focus on is that Exodus is a book that has many beginnings. And the first day of the first month is the beginning of chapter 12. It is, in fact, the beginning of the actual Exodus story. Up until then, the Israelites have been enslaved. The plagues have been going on, the first nine plagues. And with the onset of that first day of Nisan, what comes to be known as Nisan, the story of Israel leaving Egypt begins. And this is the first month, this is the month that's going to establish the calendar. And so when the Mishkan is built on the first day of this first month of the second year, 
it provides a bracket for that beginning of the story that goes to exactly one year before. The Exodus began, and now it's going to end with the construction and the completion of the Mishkan. And that what you what you just said is is exactly uh, Nachmanides writes in the intro. I, I brought this up earlier in the course of the Sefer. Uh, Nachmanides uh, says that's says exactly that that the point is the Genesis was about the grandeur of the patriarchs to get up to that incredible level of of Avraham Yitzhak Yaakov. Uh, then the people are at the bottom of the pit; they're just in terrible, terrible suffering but they will sort of uh, restore the intimacy and connection with the divine that the, that the ancestors have with the construction of the Mishkan. He's answering the question about if the point of the Sefer Shemot is mostly about, you know, liberation from Egypt and the receipt of the Torah. What's all this? What's Parsha after Parsha about the Mishkan? Well, the Mishkan is what enables them to, in fact, attain that spiritual intimacy with, with the divine. And, and what... <laughs> Okay, the Torah doesn't hammer you over the head with this. Um, as, as we pointed out when we were talking before we started recording, Jewish tradition has not recorded, you know, it's not made a holiday out of Rosh Chodesh Nisan is the day of the Mishkan. We don't, you know, we all know the dates of, of Passover or Shavuot or something, but not, not this date. Um, but the Torah does record this, it does report it, so you got to pay at least this much of attention what a year! Oh my God! What an incredible year! From from the bottom of the pit, you know, the most debased slaves. One year later, they are they have constructed this extraordinary, you know, extraordinary uh, sacred space. So it is it is a, a great way to frame this. That is that is to say, they you know we're reaching the end of this book, and and it's it's a it's a great achievement. But look at all the steps that have gone on in the way of course the the plagues the exodus uh the splitting of the sea the arrival of mount sinai and then you know the this catastrophe at mount sinai a kind of convulsion at the golden calf episode and a kind of restoration a second chance that is being given and now it's it's represented the 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 mishkan now represents the whole story it represents the testimony it represents this connection between God and the people, and and it's here. And you know, other texts say by Mishkan Echad. It's all the united. It's all together. It's a kind of uh, it's a great moment where where everything seems to be to have come together, and that's how the the parsha ends uh, because God now comes together with the people and the Mishkan, um, and uh, you know with. With the song of the Mishkan, with its sevenfold refrain of Kasher Tzivadonayet Moshe, Kasher Tzivadonayet Moshe, you know, that it is built in the way that God had commanded Moses. So we get the final paragraph. And again, I get chills reading it. The cloud covered the tent of meeting. And the presence or the the, the glory of God filled the Mishkan. He couldn't go inside there. Because the cloud was on top of it. And then the Torah gives us this kind of um, the closing of this book. When the cloud goes up, the people will go. And if the cloud doesn't go up, the people will not go. 
because the cloud is on the Mishkan every by day. You can hear the music of that uh, verse, and fire will be upon it at night. Before the eyes of all Israel, on all their journeys. You can't read that without thinking that this, this doesn't speak to just the Exodus. It speaks to all time. Yeah. yeah. So we go back then to the beginning of Sefer Shemot. And at the beginning of Sefer Shemot, the Israel have become very quickly slaves in just six verses. The floor has been swept out from underneath them, and they have been subject to abject misery. And at the end of the book, the Mishkan is filled with God's presence. So we go from a world devoid of God's presence to a world so filled with God's presence, Moses himself cannot even enter. Yeah, And it bespeaks, as you suggest, Elliot, a cosmic dimension to the Mishkan. So I want to just make a comment that occurred to me while you were talking about what is the real sin of the golden calf? It occurs to me that the sin is that the original plan was for God's abode to be in heaven. Moses goes up the mountain to get what we call the Torah, but the people need God to be down amongst them. So they fashion the calf. And if we follow the commentators that say that the Mishkan is a response to the episode of the Eagle Azahav, the golden calf, then the Mishkan clearly becomes God's home on earth because God cannot abide on Mount Sinai because that doesn't work for the people. The people need God with them. And hence we have the Mishkan. Yeah. It, 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 yeah the, so. the Mishkan is a portable sign. They want to take God with them. Yeah. Jeremy. I mean, uh, I, I, on another you know, point altogether um, uh, about, about this, this passage and the Kavod Adonai Malayat Mishkan and the divine, the visible divine presence fills up the the Mishkan until there's no room for Moses. By the way, this, the Torah or the Tanakh repeats its stories. The same thing happens when Solomon builds the temple. Um, the, in in 1 Kings chapter 8, and which, you know, I, we were talking before we the show began that, uh, you know, like I myself certainly, and, and probably lots of our readers know the Chumash a lot better than the rest of the Tanakh, check out, you know, 1 Kings chapter 8, it's a great, great chapter. Uh, long Solomon's prayer and the construction of the Mishkan, the same thing happens. And I would say that one of the dynamics about religion is the degree to which um, God can be so overwhelming that people have no room. Like religion, true religion is a meeting of God and humanity. And sometimes God is just so big that there's no room to meet God. And that is set up here in this passage, like Moshe can't enter, but that's going to change at the beginning of Vayikra. And we can talk about that next week. But um, but God is going to first fill it all, but then have to withdraw a little bit to create that space for the human divine meeting. And I would say that like that's that's where religion happens. This human human divine meeting. It's not all about God. It's not all about humanity. It's about the intersection of the two. So so let me just take that. I know we're we're, we're just about to, out of time, but we have these moments in in the in the biblical. Uh, story, the, all of the biblical Israel, where you have the Mishkan, uh, this great moment, and then you have Solomon 480 years later constructing the temple and having this elaborate 
convocation, dedication ceremony, where, as you said, the, the, the whole place is filled up with God's presence. And then that building gets destroyed. The people are exiled. They come back and they kind of slap together, you know, whatever they can to rebuild it, Ezra and Nehemiah. It's not clear exactly what happens. And they do this, they, they, they do bring sacrifices there. But you know, you know the, the moment in, in the book of Nehemiah where Ezra stands on the water tower and reads the Torah, it, there's a transition. The Bible itself makes a transition from uh, the holy place to the holy text. And, and your encounter with the divine is not through ritual of sacrifice and, and entering uh, holy space as much as it is encountering text. And the blessing is not the, um, the blessing that uh, God will give you, but it's the blessing that you offer to God by reading the, the scripture. And I think that, that that story is in the entire Bible. There, there's a movement to that. And, um, and of course, you know, when, when Israel gets dispersed after the destruction of the second temple, Herod's temple, um, we, the, we have the text. We build our own shuls, our own, you know, Beit Knesset, you know, elaborate ones, modest ones, modern ones, or just kind of, you know, boxes. Um, and we try to encounter whatever we can through, through the text. So in some way, the, the temple gets replaced by, by our, our interaction with the text. I don't know if you want to react to that. I'm reminded uh, when I was a clinical student in Israel, I had for Bible uh, Professor Borach Schwartz, who has taught at Hebrew University for a number of years. And I remember him telling us that there's no point in memorizing the Tanakh because it's such a small book, you could fit it in your pocket and carry it anywhere. If you're <laughs> going to memorize something, memorize the Talmud because you can't lug that around with you. <laughs> in a similar way, though, the text that we have that's become our Torah, and in fact, along the lines that you suggested, our Mishkan is a lot easier to carry around than the physical Mishkan. Yeah. And the genius of the rabbinic tradition is that we were able to make those connections with God that our ancestors made in the Mishkan through the text. Through the text. And we can take that text everywhere. And we have. So here we are yeah, at the end of... It's amazing that you say this, by the way, Barry, on, on a day when, um, or, you know, as we're, as, we're as, as everything's going on in Ukraine, and I'm just struck as I read the names of the places where these battles are, that it's it's the heartland of Galician and Valinian, uh, you know, Jewelry. Jewelry, like a lot of the famous Hasidic masters that you've heard of, this is where they lived. And, you know, the, the story of the Jewish people in Eastern Europe, which... It's not totally over, uh, but certainly has been, you know, nearly wiped out in the last hundred years. Um, well, you know what? Actually, wiped out the physical places and didn't wipe out, and many of the people, of course, but we, we for the most part, don't live in those places anymore. But the traveling uh, sanctity of of the mikdash me'at of the of the small sanctuary um, that is the divine presence, or that is. Um, you know, synagogues, where that is the books that we read in the synagogues. That's still quite, quite alive, quite alive. That's how, that's how we're doing this. It's fascinating that you know the the last word or the last two bechol masehem, 
the journeys of, of Israel in the desert, but the journeys of the Jewish people throughout the world and places that no longer have, you know, major Jewish population, but still have the echoes, the remnants of Jewish populations. And, and um, those are the places that the Mishkan, in quotes, has been throughout the world, all over the world. Well, we have now completed two books of the Torah, and we are so, so thankful to all of the viewers and listeners who have joined us on this journey, this year's journey. We're almost at two years of doing the Parsha Talk online, and we want to thank you for being with us. So have everyone, and Shabbat Shalom, and we'll see you next week on another edition of Parsha Talk.